Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, it's Dustin from the HP Podcast. And this is Ben. We're just coming here to tell you about our show, well, the HP Podcast. The HP Podcast is a weekly video game podcast from HandsomePhantom.com that's also part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. And... Ben, it's a little hard to describe our show because it's a little bit of everything. We get into a lot of shenanigans. We also talk about some news. We have some pretty serious topics sometimes. But sometimes uh, our friend Brandon takes a shirt off and uh, just does the show that way. So you should definitely check it out. I think you got stuck to the seat last time. It's possible. So that was that was a time. Yeah. So anyway, check out our show. We would love that. The HP podcast. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Hey, yeah you. Did you know that Arcast is on Patreon? Go check out patreon.com slash Arcast for ways to help out the show and get some sweet perks in return. It could be something small such as our $1 tier to show your support. Or join one of our higher tiers to get a shout out, pick an episode topic, or even be a part of the show as a special guest. Even just sharing our show to your friends goes a long way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Arcast. Thanks for helping us and keep it retro. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 167 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilton, and with me is a man who comes from the year 20XX, Robert Workman. Yeah, well, you know, I, uh, some people say I was born in 1973, but, you know, there's only a small piece of paper proving that. So, <laughs> yep, uh, 20XX, yep, that's that. That's totally is this like it. the future version of the birther movement? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. You know, you, you have no proof how old I am. Other than the small piece of paper, you'll never find it. So, yeah. Um, so, of course, uh, we are leading into the 4th of July. We can hear by the time uh, you'll hear this episode, the holiday would have passed, but we hope you had a great 4th of July there. And uh, we're celebrating, of course, with giant robots, because that's that's really what you do. Uh, obviously, Devolver Digital's announced their whole the details of Metal Wolf Chaos, but we're celebrating with a different series. We're celebrating with the Xenoblade series, uh, or Xeno Gears, or Xeno Saga, however you want to put it. Xeno franchise. Xeno everything, yeah. pretty much. But, yeah, uh, of course, we're celebrating uh, with one of your friends there, David, a very cryptic fellow over there who we got who we got <laughs> yes yeah so with with us is the very radical dude if you will zero bad guys how's it going there zero oh that's good i'm here to talk about one of my favorite franchises so you know, hopefully i can drop some knowledge yeah zero bad guy nice i'm taking i'm making up a name of my own now tiberius awesome sauce the 69th how are you it's good to be here <laughs> perfect perfect yes yeah that's perfect yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we are going into like, the Xeno franchise, and obviously we like have you here, Zero, like you know, to kind of talk about this since you are basically like the expert subject matter, like with this kind of thing. So, um, you know, 
definitely going to be having you like, kind of drive when we get into the main topic territory. That works for me. Yeah, but uh, but first off, we're going to get into like news. Uh, we, you know, first starting off with uh, what Nintendo has kind of been teasing with us for like a while now, which is basically adding on more consoles outside of like the NES uh, onto their on, onto, onto their Nintendo Switch Online service. Yeah, they've been hitting at this for some time now. I mean, they're still just adding NES games here and there. You know, we're seeing stuff like City Connection, Double Dragon. We've been seeing these games for some time here, but it's just really a matter of time before we start seeing stuff like you know Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, and obviously what's been hinted at for the longest time, Nintendo GameCube. Asked about Nintendo 64 and GameCube retro games on the Nintendo Switch, uh, Shantaro Furukawa reportedly says the company is looking into providing an extension of the online service. Of course, he did not provide a date or anything like that, but the company did note that we also recognize there are opinions wanting to play past titles. Now, the company is aware that the NES and the Super NES Classics have sold like hotcakes, so there is still that great demand for classic games. So, you know, there is the possibility. I, of course, would like to see these, and you know, a lot of people would love to see these games as well, and I know you would too there, David, so... Yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of time. I'm, I'm guessing probably sometime in 2020, we could see some of these... More of these classics roll. I mean, there's only so many more NES games they could release, you know? Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. I mean, like, they've been rolling out these NES titles, and that's great and all, but it would be nice if they release, like, the, you know, some, like, SNES games, some Nintendo 64 games, and also some GameCube games, too, because I know that's been heavily requested by fans. Uh, so, Zero, like, I'm kind of curious, like, which games or which consoles of, you know, for games would you like to see on the Nintendo Switch online service? I think they should try to get the Genesis. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, they kind of have the Genesis in a sense with the with, with that classic collection that, that, yeah. that came out. Yeah, I do. But there's a lot of stuff on there that like I love. But there are games that aren't on that, like um, Crusader of Senti. If you want me to name just one like random Genesis game that like four people have played. There's a lot of really interesting things in that console that I don't think have been re-explored a lot of the collections. I mean, that Sega Genesis collection has been re-released what four times at this point. Mm, yeah. I mean, there, there's always the possibility there, but I think with Sega doing their own thing with their own little mini Genesis console, I don't see them taking the digital route, but you never know. We could see another classic Genesis collection in 2020. I mean, the first one did sell really well for them, so you, they could easily license out another collection next year, but I think for right now, they're definitely doing the thing where um, they're going to see how that 16-bit all-in-one console does for them this holiday season. I mean, it's definitely jam-packed. So Yeah, and we've been kind of like teasing this for like a while now, but I mean, it would be amazing if they got some Saturn games on there too, I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, I, like, I don't know how realistic that is, but it would, it would just be like an amazing idea, so. You know, in Capcom, it wouldn't hurt to get some versus fighting games on there. I mean, come on! You there know. you go, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Translate Shining Force 3 properly, maybe? You and know. Panzer Dragoon Saga, you know, Forever Entertainment, they were building Panzer Dragoon yeah. from scratch, on the Nintendo Switch, you know, and we were talking for the longest time about they could build Saga from scratch, you know, they, they, they're willing to put that kind I of effort into it. wish they would. That game was very hard to find. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. To say it politely. Yeah. yeah. That's probably, <laughs> you know, I'm coming from you, that's incredible. Like, polite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for real, boy. You don't know like, the half of it. Wait, you don't what? know the half of it. With polite? <laughs> feels like he's known me since I was born. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. It's almost like your polite? reputation has preceded you, Zero. I, I know. Polite? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's always a possibility. But for now, you know, Nintendo's going to focus on Nintendo consoles. I think the next logical step is going to be Super Nintendo. And I think what we're mm-hmm. going to see, first off, is obviously the titles that are going to be really popular. We're probably going to see Super Mario World, Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, um, obviously, yeah. the titles that are, are going to be the landmark titles, and then we'll start to see more of the obscure stuff, and then we'll start to see the shift probably into GameCube. We probably won't see Nintendo 64 because Nintendo 64 Classic will probably be next in line. 
Because I mean, you kind of hope, but it just seems like Nintendo has been very reluctant as far as, you know, saying anything about it or like even really kind of pushing forward with it. it like, it seems like they, they, uh, they got like the, uh, was like the like trademark for, for an N64 classic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just doesn't seem like they're doing, you know, that they're doing anything with it or they're just kind of taking their time and just kind of seeing how to make that work, get the proper games for it, things like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like Nintendo's plans as far as like with like their retro brands and like what their retro initiative is, is very much up in the air because, you know, they, they obviously have had like a lot of, um, like a lot of success with it, as you mentioned with the NES classic, the SNES classic. Um, and you know, again, I'm going to say, as I said in previous episodes, they really, really, really need to kind of carve out like a portion of the, you know, of their company to just be focused on like retro things, just retro things, period. Uh, they would just do gangbusters with that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, these things do pop up by surprise, and I would not be surprised if, like, by March, they release a Nintendo 64 Classic and then start rolling out Super NES games on the Nintendo Switch Online. I mean, I would not be surprised if we get a big retro push in time for mm. the next year. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Is like, sometimes these retro things can take us by surprise. I mean, take last week, David. We were talking about, like, why would we get a new version of the Commodore 64 all in one system when we had the old one available? But now we have some new details that kind of indicate why they're doing that. What's up with that? Yeah, so we we were talking about the um, what was it, like the C uh, the C sixty four mini and also the like successor to that, uh, which we just found out like about the uh, about like the actual like official name for it, which is the C sixty four basically. So this is like actually like the full size Commodore sixty four console, uh, but with all like the built in games, just like how uh, how like the C sixty four mini has. Um, but yeah, like you know, it's going to come with like some extra bells and whistles and all that, but. Um, we also found out too that it's going to have the price point of one ninety nine nine nine, and it's also going to come out in early December. So um, it's it's looking pretty cool, and like, they also have like a pretty rad like trailer for it as well. It's like super like eighties as far as like how it looks, and um, you know it, it's uh, it, it, you know it's looking like it's you know going to be like a real thing. And um, I don't know, like the only the only thing is that like I feel like it just makes the C sixty four mini obsolete in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing it doesn't make it obsolete on is just how much room it takes up on your desk or whatever. Mm. Um but it is like a pretty cool like idea as far as like I guess like kind of like a new spin on these like retro like re-release consoles in a sense. Yeah, but the idea of having a full-size retro keyboard and a classic joystick, I mean, and hooking it up to an HDMI television. Like you, you try to connect a classic Commodore 64 to an HDMI television. Do you have any idea what kind of <laughs> immaculate? I mean, that'd be a huge pain in the ass, though. It would be a huge pain. In the you ass. know, it'd be like, do you have any idea what kind of master <laughs> wireless you'd have to be to get around that shit? Be, the, <laughs> be a magician yeah. in that case. Ta-da! Yeah. No, I can't do it. A wireless? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd say electrician, but the even electricians would be like, no, no. It's a very specific kind of yeah, electrician. A, a super in this case. electrician, yeah. a wireless. You are a wireless. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a special kind of job. I only deal with wires and wire related. Exactly. A, a special kind of job. Hello, do you have a wireless? Yeah, look in the yellow pages exactly. under wireless. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Send me the best wireless. You know, say what you want. I'm going to create that job listing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so, Zero, I'm kind of curious on your take on the C64 and whether this could be like a new take, I guess, on these mini retro consoles. Well, I think it's a good idea. I mean, um, you can really... I What I found one of the best parts is not necessarily um, uh, a good idea is when the fact that you can mod them to play other games so the this concept in general just of releasing these versions of these consoles i think is excellent like i uh i got the playstation classic which i don't really need but i need (laughs) (laughs) quote quote unquote yes (laughs) yeah um so 
a lot of like the homebrew stuff and just the accessibility of the technology, I think is really um, exciting and, you know, people deserve it. A lot of these games, this is our history. So mm-hmm. I feel like we should be able to experience it easier than tracking things down on the internet from weird websites. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, <laughs> just, just, just to make it, I guess, like more accessible, especially on like modern TVs. And that, that's kind of like a big thing, like for me, like with these like retro consoles is that it is, um, you know, for, you know, for one, like, you know, kind of like preserving like these games, uh, for like a new generation to like experience them, or for like the uh, the original generation who did experience them to experience them again, uh, but you know again on on their modern TVs and all the bells and whistles like save states and things like that. So it's you know it's really neat that's having that. Um, but also like for me too, I mean like you know the Commodore sixty four was actually my very first console, so I mean like it's just really really cool to see it come back in this way. And um, you know I was a little unsure about the C sixty four mini, like I wasn't quite sure as far as like. You know, it kind of feeling like a quote unquote complete package, I guess, as far as like, you know, what like a mini console could be. Uh, but this seems like, it, you know, it will definitely do that. And having like the working keyboard attached to it as well, that's like certainly a big thing as well. So, mm-hmm. and with particular games, it never hurts to have it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. So, yeah. Uh, so, and like the next story that we want to get into here is also, uh, you know, it was just like something that you, that you brought to my attention here, Robert, was River City Girls being announced. Yeah. Uh, so, this is basically um, like a new take on the River City Ransom like formula, more or less, but with uh, basically female combatants saving their boyfriends instead of the other way around. Uh-huh. Now, this is actually um, a combined effort. Uh, this is the developers at Way Forward who worked on DuckTales Remastered as well as the Shantae series and the producers at Arc System Works. Uh, and it eventually uh, put you in control of two different women, um, Kyoko and Misako, as they take on a number of thugs through River City six regions to get Kunio and Riki back. Uh, and essentially, it's just basically one of the best kind of beat-em-ups you can get out there. Uh, we will, of course, have the trailer linked there on our site beneath this episode, so you can watch this rad little trailer for yourself. It's pretty cool. The uh, music that plays in it is amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's got a soundtrack that features Nate Wants to Battle, uh, Christina V, who, of course, voices the Shantae character in the uh, other series there that, that they do there, Megan McDuffie, uh, Chip Zell, uh, it's just, it's pretty radical. Uh, the game is going to be available on September 5th for $29.99 digitally. And Limited Run Games is also making a physical version uh, for Nintendo Switch. Uh, and there will also be a release for PlayStation Store, Xbox Live, and Steam. Uh, and yeah, it looks like pretty much the raddest thing out there. And those of you who are going to the Anime Expo this weekend will be able to play it. Uh, our buddy Evan Borgal is actually going out there this weekend to talk to Way Forward, And he will probably not leave their booth all weekend. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, because you know, yeah, because you know, he's he's just gonna be like, get away from me! I'm a wireist. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, it, this this definitely looks like a, a, a great collaboration between the two. Uh, this this looks like a really rad game. A lot of fun for sure. So zero, I, ha- I I you know I have to ask you, how realistic is it for Kunio Kun to get beat up and and kidnapped in this way? <laughs> Not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. All takes a few knocks down and barf. You know, come on. Yeah, it happens. It happens. I love Way Forward. I mean, the Shantae games are amazing, so I'm actually pretty excited about this. Welcome. So that's going to lead us now to the part of the show called What Do You Play? And we get to the games you've all been playing or have recently beat. Uh, so, Zero, with you being our special guest, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Uh, right now I'm playing Wargroove on the Switch. Oh, nice. So it's it's very similar to Advance Wars, which I absolutely adore. Um it can be frustrating, but the game, the gameplay itself is really tight. I really like the tactics aspect of it. I love turn-based strategy games, so it's really um, taken up most of my attention. And also the fact, too, that you can like, make up like your own scenarios and battles, too, right? 
yeah, you can create your own maps and you can play people online and download people's custom maps. And um, right before that, I was finally playing the an official English translation of Secret of Mana 2. So Trials of Mana, sorry. Mm. Uh, which I've beat plenty of times, just not yet with the new version. Sounds cool. Sounds great. How about you there, Robert? I've been working on uh, the Mana Collection for Nintendo Switch. Uh, very well done. A uh, little overpriced there, but that's the Square Enix way. There's just no getting around it. I think, I'll, like, honestly, like, just interject. I think that price point is purely because of the translation effort with Seiken and Setsu Three. Like, yeah. I, I, I can only imagine the amount of like man hours that took in order to actually do that. I am <laughs> happy to have it, though. I mean, it, it's a great little collection there, and being able to play the games, you know, Trials of Mana that for the first time here in the U.S. That is very cool. So it's Absolutely, a fun little yeah. collection, and also a game that came out this week on Nintendo Switch is Red Faction Guerrilla Remastered, which. I will mm. still get to get used to saying. Um, it is a very good translation. Uh, of course, this is a game. I I probably have five different versions now. This is my fifth version, but I never get tired of this game. It is one of the best Grand Theft Auto style games out there. You go to Mars and you battle uh, basically the EDF. You try to take back over the planet and you just basically stick it to them. You can like take down enemy forces, try to take over factions of Mars. Uh, you can like destroy all sorts of stuff. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the game was programmed by Volition, who worked on the Saints Row games. But I actually prefer this style of game better because the destructible factor is amazing. You can actually smack stuff around with a sledgehammer and never get tired of it. Like It, it seems kind of better put together than the other games before. It, I really so. do. You know, it's, it's really great. I think the thing that bums me out the most is that its sequel, Red Faction Armageddon, is not open world like it. It's more of like a linear sort of thing, which is, I don't mm. know why they took that route. I mean, it's still fun, but it's like, I don't understand why it's not open world. But... I did like this game, Gorilla Remastered. I still get used to saying that. Is a lot of fun, <laughs> and I highly recommend checking it out on Switch. And then one other game I checked out this week is Layers of Fear Two. This is the follow-up to the uh, original game by Bloober Team. Um, it definitely has that spooky vibe to it. Uh, it's a different layout this time. Um, you're sort of like a Hollywood actor in the 1920s, and you're, you're filming aboard this yacht and everything. And, of course, spooky stuff happens. I won't really give too much of the story away. Uh, Tony Todd's in it. He's from the Candyman uh, film. And, you know, there's some spooky stuff here and there. But there's some stuff that annoys me about the design. Uh, this time around and, and it, it kind of bugged me a little bit like there's these chase sequences that take forever to get through and some of the scares aren't really as good this time around but there's some stuff that some people may like so if you like the first one it's worth giving a shot to just don't expect it to be as good as the first one so mm. there's that so it's spooky so. but not as spooky if you will like <laughs> sure if you want to take that route i, I spooky is, yeah <laughs> I, I don't know what your idea of spooky is but all right there it is. no well what do you you've been playing uh so i'm actually kind of surprised that neither of you mentioned super mario maker 2 actually. oh well you know that's because the game is pissing me off at the moment. <laughs> oh, wow. goddamn levels. i mean i'm playing through you that right now monsters. you guys are goddamn monsters right. <laughs> no. um so like i'm playing through that right now i'm actually in the middle of the story mode at the moment and um i'm, I'm, I'm also like actually in the mo- uh, in the middle of uh putting together like a couple of levels um, one of them I'll, I'll mention here actually is um, basically like a uh, like it's like a like a level like where you're inside like one of the ghost house and you have like booze and like in all sorts of different like uh, areas and like different um, you know you have like cannons shooting out like uh, like the bonefish and things like that but you have to keep uh, keep on like Lakitu's cloud and Lakitu's cloud uh, always like kind of times out after a certain amount of time so I ha- I'm trying to kind of space it out where when you're just about to like run out of Lakitu's cloud you have another cloud to kind of like you know jump right into basically so 
it's kind of broken up into like segments. So I'm trying try to play around with that. And I'm also trying to play around with like a uh, kind of like a pyramid level, like where you kind of like warp into a pyramid and all of a sudden you're in like a sub area where you're, you know, basically going through all the pyramids, traps and all that stuff. So I'm trying to play around with like some ideas with that. And, you know, as well as like doing like a 2D Mario Kart level in a sense, like using like the car. So um, I have like some ideas I'm trying to implement there. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun so far. The most interesting level I played in Mario Maker 2, there was this one where it says Thanos dies and you play as this mini Mario and you go up Thanos's butt and then you enlarge and then the level explodes. Okay. <laughs> That's the best level of all time. They deleted it <laughs> already. Well, they deleted it because I guess it goes against standards, but it was like, mm. how'd that happen? I, I thought that was your that. level, Robert. No. <laughs> you know, they'd suspend my account. Like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, that that's how weird these level designs get. Anyway, go ahead, David. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, the other game I've, I've been playing also, Samurai Showdown, which yep. Zero certainly knows because I was playing against Zero as well, <laughs> um, where you were playing your boy Yukio. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I've been having like a lot of fun with it, especially kind of learning like some of the characters and just learning like their intricacies. Um, I really like Darley Dagger, as I mentioned before. Genjiro is also like a main character for me. Uh, I've been learning Jubei a lot as well because he has like these uh, kind of like Geese Howard like moves, like where he does like high, high, mid, low parries and um, or like counters really. And um, he also has like a ground projectile, which is really good. Um, so I've been liking him a lot and, um, yeah, just kind of, you know, just learning some characters and going through some of them in story mode and, um, you know, play some online matches and stuff. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. Um, zero, I was kind of, I was kind of curious to yeah, kind of get your take on Samurai Showdown a little bit from, uh, from the time that we got to play together. I liked it. I, um, was, uh, dangerously intoxicated first half of the time we were playing. So I don't remember <laughs> as much dangerously. As oh boy. But I did actually, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I don't remember the name of the other guy I played besides Mr. Tachibana, the guy with the nice heavy attack. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The guy who has like the seven swords on him. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's awesome. He reminds me of Cho the Sword Hunter from Maroni Kenshin. Yeah. I think I suggested him to you as well, actually, because like this is like your character pretty much because he's just an absolute dick pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's a dick. He's got great hair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's basically me. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Outfit. Yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong there you're not wrong but you know Yukio Tachibana he's sick all the ladies love him also me <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go there you go and um one thing they they definitely want to get your hands on here is, is a game code which I have uh, which I have right here for Sin Slayers on Steam uh so Sin Slayers is an RPG with roguelike elements set in a dark fantasy world where your choices determine how challenging the fights and enemies will be Create, equip, and lead a team of heroes. Each unit you have will have its own abilities and weaknesses, so plan your combat strategy accordingly. You'll journey through stinking, uh, stinking primeval forests, boneyards riddled with crypts and the graves of fallen warriors, and other places even the bravest adventurer would fear to tread. So if that sounds like a jam, definitely jump on this. Again, this is a Steam code. The code is THD8RZGLMC. E R eight two three again. That's Sin Slayers on Steam. Enjoy, and if you do redeem that code, definitely let us know at Arg Podcast on Twitter. Welcome back to the stage of history. And with that, we have the stage of history, which is a celebration of retro titles that deserve a spot for better or for worse in the pantheons of history. So I figure, since you know we are talking about this, the Xeno franchise in this particular episode, uh, I would bring up a couple of games here, starting off with Xeno Saga Episode One. So this is a 2003 RPG by Monolith Soft. It was intended to be a spiritual successor to the 1998 title Xenogears. The development budget reached approximately $7.7 million, so quite a hefty sum there. Yeah, that was a lot back then. 
Yeah. And the use of German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche's works and concepts was a recurring element within episode one and the series as a whole. So, uh, Zero, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about Xenosaga episode one specifically? Well, yeah, Xenosaga episode one, um, interestingly enough, because if in the ending credits of Xenogears, it says Xenogears episode five, which when they did Xeno, when they, you know, obviously they don't work with Square Enix anymore. They go to make Xenosaga. They're like, we're going to start from the beginning. So they reworked a lot of the story and they came up with So in a lot of ways, the Xenosaga one and two are prequels to Xenogears. Um, but it's the battle system is really actually very interesting for an RPG of its time. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Valkyrie profile with, um, it's kind of timing based in a lot of ways. Mm. But one of the things I love about the games is they mix like psychological concepts like Jungian philosophy with the collective unconscious and religious um, things. Uh, Iconography like, and like, yeah, like and um, like yeah. chaos, uh, the character chaos in Xenosaga episode one. He's in all three of the Xenosaga games. Um, I used to roll with Jesus. That's just canon. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers guys for a 2003 RPG. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, um, and Mary Magdalene was like his best friend. So they, 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 they delve deep. Um, and a lot of stuff that they avoided in Xenogears cause they were, it was the late nineties. It was a different time. They, even though it was only five years difference, they was, they were really trying to avoid a religious controversy in America. Mm-hmm. So if you remember around the time it's when Marilyn Manson was being vilified daily in the news and a lot of things like that. So they really were, um, cagey about incorporating those elements in the American release of Xenogear. So it was kind of nice to see more of that pressed when they put Xenosaga in America. It was really nice to see. So mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely deserves a place. Like it's, it's excellent. So these biblical characters were actual, like, uh, I guess like kind of like, uh, like in the lore basically of, of Xenosaga. Yeah. Yeah. So they, in the beginning, um, so chaos actually performed a lot of Jesus's miracles he was called Yeshua, who is actually a character from the Gnostic Gospels. Like he wrote um, a gospel that isn't in the King James Version of the Bible. Um, and he was like his best friend, and he helped him perform miracles. And then they, there's something that happens. I'm Again, this is a very old game, but they have to leave. There's like a time-space anomaly, and they have to leave Earth, and it gets erased from every star lane in the country, so in the universe. So Chaos is like 6,000 years old. He doesn't even age at this point. But his power like got to be a point where they couldn't control it, and Mary Magdalene like sacrificed her life to create the collective unconscious, which is obviously a Carl Jungian psychological term for yeah. basically what we call common sense in a lot of ways. Um, but that's where that comes from. So it really does kind of explore a lot of, um, I wouldn't necessarily say heretical Christian texts, but like outside of the normal canon, like some stuff that's prevalent in Eastern Orthodox, that sort of thing. Like not what we would normally see in America. Right. Yeah. Because I know like at least with like, um, with like Nintendo anyway, like back in the NES and SNES days or whatever, like they would just stay away from anything that was like biblical or religious in any sort of sense, especially with like Western religious pr- practices like with a Christianity and things like that. So it, it, it certainly was kind of like a, um, I don't kind of like a big leap, like from, you know, from then to like at that point anyway, like where we, you know, in Xenosaga, now you actually have like biblical characters actually be part of the story in the, in the game. So yeah, you just see JC kicking around, making <laughs> friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Makes sense. Yeah. 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 A lot of it is more shrouded in like uh, symbolism in Xenosaga years which i actually kind of like a little bit more than there's the blatant like oh god that guy's jesus <laughs> but um the, the it really was like an interesting thing to see and to see kind of like where a lot of this stuff 
was built from mm-hmm. is really um, just truly exceptional. Like, there's a lot that went into the backstory for this and the second one, although I did not like the second one as much. Nah. We'll definitely get into that very soon here, but uh, Robert, I was kind of curious like, if you played Xenosaga Episode 1 or any Xenosaga games at all. I actually have not. Uh, this is a series that unfortunately I just never really had the time to get into when they came, they came out. I've been was busy with other games at the time, mm-hmm. but I always like was always curious about them just because who was involved and because of like the storyline surrounding them, you know, especially with some of the religious themes. I just never really had the opportunity to dig in. And, you know, hear, hearing like, you know, Zero talk about like, well, it's Jesus, you know, now I kind of like want to kind of dig in. <laughs> He probably just shows up. Hey, what's up? I know, like, like buddy, Christ, like buddy Christ and Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, yeah, actually. Big Lebowski style kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing we have here in the stage of history is Xenosaga Episode Two. Now, so this is a 2005 RPG by Monolith Soft. Series, cre- uh, series creator Tetsuya Takahashi stepped down as game director during development. The battle system was adjusted based on feedback that the first game's battle system was too complicated. And it was the only Xenosaga title released in Europe. So um, it was pretty interesting there. And I believe with that European release, uh, they actually uh, had that come with a DVD, I want to say, that kind of like catches you up on the storyline from episode one, basically. For they do. I have that DVD somewhere. Oh, you do? Yeah. I do. You got it for the pre-order bonus for American releases. Oh, nice. Okay. That's really, really cool. Maybe with the third one. I think they did it when you pre-ordered the third And correct one. me if I'm wrong, didn't it also come out for the DS... Uh, along is like a remake package yes. with one and that two. That never came to America. Yeah, it's a Japanese release only. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, they bummer. they did one and two, and then I think they they may have done two and three. It's been a while since I've looked that up. I think they might have set two in half because it kind of suits it to that fairly well. Like you know, it's pretty easily bookended. Like like one and three are the important. Ones. Right, right. And the dumbing down of the battle system is why I don't like the second one. Oh. To be completely honest, I feel like they sacrifice a lot of complexity to try and push it to sell more units, which I always think is a bad idea. Kind of make it more, more, um, more yeah. mainstream friendly, I guess, in a sense. Or... Yeah, it's like um, while Mass Effect Two is an excellent game, the story is written better. That's probably the best self-contained story out of the three. Really, they they sacrifice a lot of the RPG elements of it. Mm. So that's probably the best comparison I can think of. The subtitle here is really fascinating. Was it Jinsiets von der Gut und Bosse? Yep, it's uh, Beyond Good and Evil. It's named after um, one of the big works um, of Friedrich Nietzsche. I can see why they kept that title and didn't call it Beyond Good and Evil, because that would have screwed them up with the actual Beyond Good and Evil game from Ubisoft. Yeah, 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 in that case. Which I can see why they kept it. Beyond Good and Evil is also kind of based. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That's a neat way to keep that, though, because some people are probably going like, okay, can you can you get Xenozaga episode two, Jin Jin said, the one by that just came out today. Can I play that? Can I get me that one, please? That one Nietzsche game, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they, uh, I like that. Well, the subtitle for the first one was like Der Villas are Mocked, which is um, The Will to Power, another one of Nietzsche's books. All three of them are named after, like, the seminal works of Nietzsche mm-hmm. like, collecting. Yeah, isn't the so. third one like um, also spoke Zarathustra? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Also spoke Zarathustra, which is probably the weirdest of a very weird man's philosophical works. <laughs> yeah, it's like the deep cut of, of his works there. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, that's something I actually wanted to go with to Obscura. I know. 
Chronicles series isn't really obscure. In fact, they're probably the most popular of the Xenoblade games because they were handled by Nintendo for the most part. But I wanted to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles X because this was one that came out for the Wii U and it was probably the least selling of the series compared to like the 3DS, the Nintendo Switch, and the Wii versions. Well, but, purely for being on the Wii U, that's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. But I, I still think it was a significant release in the series because it was originally announced in 2013 with simply the name X. It was under the working title X being developed by Monolith Soft. And this was right on the heels when Xenoblade Chronicles was becoming such a massive hit, you know, out of nowhere for the Wii, you know, and it was at the time, you know, that GameStop was kind of re-releasing the game and selling like used copies for like 55 bucks at the time. And Oh, I worked for GameStop and they had us open all of our new ones and then you could sell the used ones for nine. I knew it. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> those, was, that, that's a dicks. fact. I was like, you bastard. <laughs> I was like, everyone should play this game. Those jerks. But yeah, uh, anyway, um, X is essentially uh, this nice little carryover of the series. Um, and it just, you know, basically continues the work featuring uh, multiple staff returning from the original game, including series creator Tetsuya Takahashi, uh, with a, a serving once again as executive director and scenario co-writer, uh, as well as other staff writers like director Ko Kojima and producer Shingo Kawabata. I'm not pr- mispronouncing anything. This is rad. I know. Yeah, uh, he's nailing everything. I've been very <laughs> impressed. I've been very. I know impressed this is not far, going yeah. disastrously <laughs> bad. Yuichiro uh, <laughs> Ka- Takeda, um, Kunihiro Tanaka. Wow. Um, <laughs> are we recording? You this? speak in tongues. <laughs> but I mean, I, I did not get too deep into this game, but it was pretty cool with the gameplay. I mean, it was an action role playing game. So I got a little more into this series than I did with Xenosaga, I think. And, mm. it, you know, it's just really cool how they would manage to carry it over onto the Wii U. Like you could play it off TV, but you could also play it, you know, through the Wii U game like, plan. Kind of like that tablet mode, basically. Yeah, yeah I, I thought it was just really cool. You could do it either which way. And there were different roles that you could adopt through the Blade system. Uh, and there were different advantages with each one. And and there were also different types of experience points that you could use for each of the characters. And just the way that the world was designed was really something. Like, it was so different from any other Nintendo games at the time. Uh, yeah, just... they did a great job with a lot of aspects of mm-hmm. the game. And, and, you know, the, the fact that the series, you know, in such a short amount of time continued on in sh- such a short time frame, because, you know, like, it was just a matter of, like, not even, like, a couple of years or so that it continued on on the Switch. You know, we had Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on the Switch, and then that little separate chapter, like, a year later on the Switch. You know, it was it was pretty wild, just, like that it, they didn't even take time to like take a break be like oh no we're just gonna bring it to switch and then oh yeah here's no one more chapter on the switch you know it's pretty wild and they still had time to release a game for new nintendo 3ds you know is these guys oh yeah that's a great remake they did a great remake of the original yeah uh, what was it uh torn of the golden country that was the side chapter they released after two yes that's uh the like the first dlc yeah, Basically but you can play it separately. Yes, yeah, you, you can, can play it yeah. separately. But I mean, like in the middle of all that, they made X like pretty much one of the better action role playing games on the Wii U, and it was like one of the Wii U's best original action adventure games. So, although it's not really so much of a retro title, it is technically only four years old. It's a game that was really underappreciated because of the platform itself, you know. And now Xenoblade Chronicles Two has kind of overshadowed that. But I think a lot of people, you know, who have collected the Wii U, there are a few people out there. 
um, are discovering it. And it's, it's kind of, you know, rad for them to do that because it's, they're really discovering just how deep an adventure this is. Yeah. And it's not really like a lot of the other, it's not like any of the other Xenos with the amount of customization specifically that goes into the main character, how much um, there's almost a experiment with a lot of MMO elements and you can see like the the way they did questing is kind of reflected a little bit in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. They added aspects of it, but there was like timing necessary. Like you had to be there at certain times of day to have certain events happen. And I love that kind of stuff. Reminds me of Persona almost in a way. Mm. And it's really like they, they dug deep for that one. Like it it's it was really just a game that I feel was missed large part because it was on the Wii U, sadly. Yeah. It's almost like an MMO style world. The way the way you're talking about there, uh, bad guy, how how like different events pop up. You know, it, it's pretty impressive. Like the stuff you could do within the game itself, and all the zones, and then the different things you can do with the mechs. It really like it's surprisingly complex for a game that, quite frankly, didn't get a lot of press. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it got some press early when it was announced, and then nobody really picked up on it much in America. And I feel that it was really sad because I think a lot of RPG players specifically missed out on something great. Yeah. I mean, it sold over 200,000 copies physically. That's not bad, but I think the main problem is it was the Wii U and you know, the yeah. Wii U's the Wii U, you know, Super Mario Maker didn't sell much in the Wii U. Bayonetta 2 didn't get the exposure. I mean, you know, the switch version of Bayonetta 2 lapped the Wii U version. I mean, it, it was just a platform of choice. Uh, that's kind of why I wanted to take a look back on it. But I mean, now, like I said, collectors are kind of looking back on it and it kind of sets the tone for what Xenoblade Chronicles 2 did because a lot of the engine from X was used to like put 2 into place. And that's kind of what made 2 such a best selling hit is what X kind of set up. So, so X was kind of like a 1.5, I guess, in the sense of the, in the a series. Way. Yeah. And that's going to lead us now to our main topic, which is talking all about the Xeno franchise. And so basically, we're going to be having Zero Drive here for a lot of this. So um, Zero, I was kind of curious, like, I guess, like on your history with the franchise, because I imagine you started off with Xeno Gears and pretty much like hit the ground running from there, right? Yeah, Xeno Gears um, is one of my, I think it's probably the best PlayStation 1 RPG. I mean, there's like one or two, I think, that compete with it. Maybe Sakoden 2. Sweek it in. Sorry to pronounce it properly. Um, and the, it, I mean, it came, it had an issue where it ran out of budget. So the second disc is kind of um, a huge change in tone for the game, which I feel is um, where a lot of, if we had a fully fleshed out second disc, like with the story that Takashi wanted to tell, then we would be, it wouldn't even be a contest as to what the best PS1 RPG was. And mm. PS1 RPGs are probably my favorite games of all time. That's my favorite system. Um, I could talk for, at, like, I could do a whole episode just on yelling at why Final Fantasy VII isn't the best PS1 RPG. But <laughs> let's not do that. Zero Gears, in a lot of ways, um, it captured kind of a, a move that was going on in a lot of Japan around that time in the mid-90s, around the time Neon Genesis Evangelion came out, where they take a lot of concepts from Abrahamic religions and merge them with psychological concepts. Um, and if you 
you know, if you think about it, and giant robots, if you want to go with the direct comparison to Something Ava. about, like, religious themes <laughs> and mechs, like, this kind of married together so well, I don't know why. <laughs> exactly, and, like, so, and and they also explore, it, it did a lot of things where it really explored, like, deep into the psychology of the main character, like, he has multiple personalities, he has forgotten a lot of his memories due to childhood trauma, like, there's a lot going on with Faye, and there's also... I mean, there's there's so much to go into it. I could probably just start at the beginning of the game and kind of move forward if you'd like <laughs> to go into Xenogears because it gets um pretty deep. And let me talk about the battle system, actually. Let's sure. start here. So as you level up in Xenogears, you have um, like combo points where you can do a strong, a medium, and a heavy attack. And as you combine them, you learn different martial arts combos for each of the main characters. Everybody has different... I think they're called Busters. Uh, it's been a while. Um, but you learn different moves. Some, uh, later in the game, you'll get elemental ones. Um, and then those also translate into more abilities when you're in your giant mech as well. Right. So leveling up your characters on foot actually does affect the other aspect. Of the game. Well, it's like a whole other like system in place when you're in your mech too, right? Because like, basically yeah. uses like fuel like to, you know, to, uh, to utilize like, your, your moves while you're in that mech mode, right? Yeah, you have to, and certain moves generate fuel or you can just directly charge while you defend. Um, if you defend for long enough, you build up a combo meter if you don't use up everything. So when you're in your mechs, it's really like, oh, do I in his first attack or do I want to wait and build up fuel so I can hit him in a, with a bigger attack in a couple of rounds? So you're like, oh, you know, Bart can hit his weakness, so I'm going to have him defend so we can use a big attack to do a lot more damage than he normally would. But other characters, it might be good to have use one of their healing moves that take up less of their combo meter so they don't have to build it up as much. It kind of so sounds like what like a Dragon Ball RPG should have been like back in the day, I guess. <laughs> well, there's a great Dragon Ball RPG for the for the Game Boy. Back of the Saiyans. Excellent. Yamcha's the best character. So, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> much like in the anime, to be honest. There you go, yeah. <laughs> but um, I've never seen symbolism done necessarily this well in an rpg before like you know i mean the the symbolism in a lot of other games are like oh let's just throw angel wings on it and, you know that that that's enough yeah that's enough symbolism for what we're trying to do with this character no they don't they don't really do that like even from to the names of the songs on the soundtrack of like evoking the kind of mood they're going for like one of the tracks is called uh one who bears his fangs at god <laughs> like they really kind of lean into that yeah the hand was heavy on that theme pretty much yeah exactly yeah. They're like, just tell us how it really works yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're just like you know question everything like see where it comes from because there's you know this tower of babel-esque society that lives in the sky and controls what they call the lambs and they consider themselves like angels and stuff, controlling mm. the destiny of lesser humans and it really just like it really adds a lot of myth and like takes that kind of Western mythic structure and religious structure and really kind of incorporate into a Japanese style of storytelling in a way that I haven't seen since. I could rant about this forever. <laughs> I could definitely tell. I could tell. Yeah. I could tell. <laughs> Um, so, like, you know, so, so as far as, like, you know, it going from Xeno Gears, because obviously, you know, there was, there was Xeno Gears, that's just, like, the singular game, and then going into yes. the Xeno Saga trilogy, and then obviously into Xeno Blade and everything, um, what would you say were kind of, like, the, I guess, like, biggest differences as far as, like, the, like, uh, the themes of the, of the franchise, like, kind of switching around, like, from, like, one series to another, and also, like, I guess, like, you know, the popularity and, like, where, I guess, like, the franchise, kind of, I guess, kind of peaked in a sense. Yeah. So one of the main um, theories of the franchise is basically the human will, the will to power, as is described in the subtitle of the first Xenosaga. 
Xenosaga Saga was originally designed as a retelling of the first few episodes of what was to be the entire Xenogears epic because the original game was episode five. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find this information in a book called Xenogears Perfect Works. You can find many tra- fan translations online if anybody's interested in really like delving incredibly deep into the lore. I, I heard it even has like information in there actually, which was supposed to kind of fill in, I guess the, um, uh, I believe you mentioned like with like the missing like uh, content, if you will, like in the in the second disc of Xenogears, right? Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, and there's a lot of background information that kind of informs the rest of the story. Like I loved the game when I first played it, and then I read through Perfect Works and played it again, and was like, oh, I like this way more. Mm. <laughs> just having that context <laughs> like, to it, yeah. Yeah, it just hit that like young, too into philosophy and religion, uh, you know, Mister Bad Guy, very very hard. Yeah, it's like, it's like this is blowing my mind, man. Yeah. <laughs> what sense. if God's the bad guy? Whoa. Whoa, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you You're know, freaking I mean, me out, man. Yeah. Fourteen-year-old like, Zero was like, "Damn." Yeah. This is this is blowing me up right now. Right. Right. <laughs> but even playing it as an adult, like you, you know, you get through the beginning with the spacecraft crashing and basically the Xenogus version of Eve stands up out of the wreckage and it says, ye shall be as gods. And you're like, yeah, I'm 100% into this narrative mm-hmm. already. It's had a lot of impact on me and my personal outlook. It, it led me into reading more about Nietzsche than I would have done before. It led me into a lot of philosophical yeah. things. So it has actually had like a really um, profound effect on my education as a game and something you wouldn't expect necessarily just some, PS1 RPG that not many people have actually played that much in this day and age to actually have on somebody. But it led me down a lot of really interesting philosophical like tracks like Carl Jung, Nietzsche has been mentioned plenty of times already. <laughs> Knowing you personally, like I, I know you've been very big into like a lot of like kind of like philosophical books and philosophical this kind of like, you know, theories and discussions and all that stuff like you would go to town like all the time, like back in college. I remember just kind of like, you know, talking about like all sorts of philosoph- you know philosophical theories, like from all sorts of different philosophers out there, and like that was just kind of like your jam, pretty much. And yeah. so it certainly makes sense that like a lot of the themes, I guess, like in the Zeno games would, would you know would certainly fuel that. Yeah, you can blame how insufferable I was in college I mean, <laughs> almost entirely. Yeah, I was really jam really Zeno. I learned. Yeah, where I was like, oh wow, being pretentious can get you girls. <laughs> is that what I was doing wrong all these years? <sighs> no. We should have called you Xeno bad guy in that yeah. sense. Yeah, so. I mean, that's out there. We should have gone with that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> makes uh, sense. Here we makes are, sense. just making mistakes. I know, right? <laughs> so, I mean, like, you know, as far as it going from Xeno Gears to Xeno Saga, Xeno Saga, I guess, like, for all intents and purposes, seems to kind of, like, expand on what the themes were in Xeno Gears, especially with, like, the... You know, yeah. like, you know, be, be being on, like, you know, on the next generation of consoles and being able to kind of, like, uh, you know, to actually, like, really go full-fledged full, full into it with, like, three games. Yeah. Um, you know, but then going into, like, Xenoblade and Xenoblade uh, series, um, do you feel like that's when, like, the, the franchise, I guess, like, kind of went more mainstream and w- went more appealing, I guess, for, for your average person? I think person? so. I think, um, yeah, I think, like, the main theme still of, like, free will and destiny like the things that are really at the core of the Xeno franchise experience are all still there um xenoblade chronicles also had the first one really did have the the luxury of being built upon the games before it so people were already interested they weren't as unknown of titles back then Mm -hmm. because xeno saga was supposed to be six episodes they were going to retail all six of them oh yeah that was like the the original plan i know yeah Yeah. and then they were like (laughs) all right the the third one didn't sell that well we're kind of done (laughs) 
It was kind of like a Shenmue kind of like idea as far as like, it's going to be this huge sweeping epic. It's like, no, no, just try to do it in as few games as possible. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, they did a great job with their story. I think they, I think the third one really did come into its own, but Xenoblade Chronicles with its more of its emphasis on like, Oh, the main character can see the future, you know, with, with the Monado and like how that affects him changing probably things that should have happened and how it kind of affects it really does touch on a lot of the similar things but they did make it a bit more accessible the battle system is more action oriented mm-hmm. which i think just as games go on people didn't really want as much of the traditional battle system the in a lot of RPGs. stuff yeah. yeah i mean you don't i mean think about popularity of the tales games how those are basically the jrpg mainstays now mm. like those yeah. are the ones where you're like yeah we're gonna get one of those every two years people are gonna like them yeah or Except the for... new direction of the remake for Final Fantasy VII as well. So yeah, I mean that's based on a lot of Final Fantasy XV, which I'm kind of glad that they're going in that route with seven. I mean, I still wish we could get a remake of Xenogears, like the full thing, and get like the fleshed out storyline from Disc Two. That's probably my dream project. Mm. Yeah. Like if anybody ever announced that, I would probably freak out like everybody else freaked out about Final Fantasy VII. Like, right. I'd be like, I can't even sit still for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, I can't work. I need to go home. I need to go home and play through Xenogears. Need to do some right. backflips. <laughs> need to do some front flips. I need to do some side flips. Yep. Flips. I'm gonna do some one-handed cartwheels. It's just gonna be all kinds of flips. Probably cartwheel the whole time home. Else. You see some idiot side yep. doing cartwheels on the way home. That's me. Just letting you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna look like bringing on over here. Yeah. It's gonna be, <laughs> be <ridiculous. laughs> except without the tights. Just letting you know. Yeah. Although I may put on a lot nerdier for sure. I wear yeah. the tights. Yeah. yeah. I think the interesting thing about Xeno 2 is that it's kind of created a legacy uh, in terms of like the stuff it's spun off from because we also saw its characters go to other games too. Um, we saw some of the characters go to the Project X Zone games. We saw Cosmos yep. and Cosmos, Talos yep. from Xenosaga, as well as Fiora and Metalface from the Xenoblade series. And we saw Shulk uh, from Xenoblade Chronicles go to Smash Brothers, uh, which I thought was really cool. And uh, oh yeah, they did a great job with him. Mm-hmm. Like they captured the essence of what the Monado can do really well. And not to mention, you could dress up as Rex from Xenoblade Chronicles Two in Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. I know some people who are nuts about that. <laughs> they're yeah, completely there's, nuts. Uh, there's also like a Rex outfit you can get for you created me in Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. If you have, which I which I had, and I was like, yes, I will make the zero bad guy. That's me, M I I. That's not him dressing up in real life as Rex. <laughs> Although he probably I mean, it could would. be. He'll be doing the cartwheels dressed as Rex, you know, so whatever. Yeah, he's got that diving helmet. That's a nice accessory. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past zero, yeah. honestly, to do that. So. And then on top of that, there's also been, like, some interesting adaptations outside of games. Like, in 2004, there was the uh, Japanese manga adaptation of the Xeno Saga series. Uh, I believe it was written by Atsushi Baba and serialized through the yes. monthly comic Zero Sum. Yep, I haven't read as much of that as I would like. I did watch the anime though. They made yeah the anime animation that was by like TV Asahi, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, you're busting out the names that I haven't heard in years. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm being like, sharp. Here. I'm doing great. Can we keep oh, yeah. this up? I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. Like, but you're, I'm just like, wow. I haven't, I haven't heard these names. Pressure zero. Want to kiss you right now, honestly? <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Keep your lips you know, to yourself. I have a really big tongue. My, I, I'm too. You know, I don't like, need to know this. <laughs> it gets Dude, a little. It gets a little rough. You yeah. know what? It's like sandpaper. It's kind of like a cat. Again with your college days. Again with your college days. I didn't want to know this. I really didn't need to know this. But anyway. 
Um, and then there was a music tour, I think that was last year, that celebrated the Xenosaga series. For years, we've been seeing like these little Xenosaga games left and right. And aside from Chronicles, it's just been more about the legacy of the series rather than it's kind of its true evolution. You know what I mean? We've seen bits and pieces and... I don't know. I mean, it's like you said, David, we, we've seen like three games in the Xenosaga series instead of the six. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. It's, it is it is a very funny like franchise in the sense that it has been kind of broken up and like, it, you know, it has like so many like different themes that kind of touches on. Like, like it has kind of like an overarching theme, like with the religious symbolism and, uh, you know, with like mechs and all that stuff and science fiction setting and whatnot. Um, but like, like each, like, I guess like segment of this franchise, like has just been like so different. Like it's almost like, you know, going from one Final Fantasy to like another in a sense, um, uh, except more, uh, more drastic in a sense, really, because like, it's, it's really kind of taking things, um, you know, in, in, in a real kind of like different take, I guess, like, you know, with like the combat system, with like the, you know, the story, with the characters, like all that stuff, it's all kind of like a very different take within this universe, really, like in, uh, in the Xeno franchise. Yeah. It's, um, just... It's, like, so deep, it's hard for me to, like, narrow into even specific parts that I like. And... <laughs> put it, like, into, like, one bubble, really, so yeah. so many different... Yeah, it's hard to consider them all, in a lot of ways, even as part of the same franchise. Xenogears itself was pitched as the original script for Final Fantasy VII, and then that's right. Square Enix was like, no, that's too dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII is a pretty dark game at its core, yeah. and they were like, "No, Xenogears is too dark." <laughs> I remember like, too that there was even a plan for Xenogears to basically be the sequel to Chrono Trigger or Chrono Cross. I forget which one, but it, like th- there were like some ideas as far as like how to attach this to an already existing franchise until they eventually were like, "Let's just make this like in- into like its own thing." So yeah, and you can see like reflected concepts, like you can see where some of the concepts Xenogears. With um, like the time jumps and like the uh, kind of anachronistic technology stuff with with, with Chrono Cross, um, and even with the like the issues that Cloud has regarding his identity, they mirror a lot of what Faye was going through. Um, and I mean, they came out a year apart. Final Fantasy VII was finished first, but like you know, you can tell that that like Cloud's character journey with like figuring out who he actually is because he thought he was somebody else for a long time really was kind of based on the fact that originally the main character of that game would have been Faye from Xenogears. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, it was kind of the building blocks, I guess, in a sense of, like, what yeah. Final and Fantasy like VII. the angel wing done. for, fun- yeah. like, the whole angel thing with Sephiroth. You can tell a lot of that symbolism sure. is definitely, like, a little some impetus of this very, like, rough first draft of Xenogears that they came up with for Final Fantasy VII. Now, what if they did, like, a Final Fantasy VII Xenogears crossover of some sort? Would you, would you be down with that? Well, well, I mean, we'll be talking about, like, Probably Cloud would probably be praying to some wrong god for all we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's also like, in terms of scale, the Final Fantasy VII characters would get absolutely obliterated. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> like, Faye in his true form, like in like in like his like evil like psychopathic form, fights the giant mechs on foot and just starts laying them out left and right at one point. <laughs> you're just like, oh, yeah, you're like, I see why this is the dude that punches God in the face. <laughs> like it's just because he's a reincarnation of Abel, like because uh, the like who was like the only Abel, other yeah. survivor. Well, he's the only other survivor of the spaceship that crashed on the planet that Xenogears is set on. Okay. But him and um, the mother, this other character, um, they keep getting reincarnated to fight the influence of um, this. Like, it's almost a sentient computer program called Deus, which is God. Mm. Um, And how it's controlling humanity and keeping them from, like, living true and free lives. So they are, like, in this almost karmic cycle of rebirth to fight 
uh, Deus's influence on the future of humanity. That's a big part of the conceit of Xenoviews. These same two people being born over and over again and finding each other. Mm. That makes sense, sir. Which I also love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we did have a bunch of listener responses here as well uh, from, from a bunch of Xeno fans here. So starting off with uh, David Bush, who says, I'm actually playing Xeno Gears right now. About to enter the Ethos dig site with Billy uh, Satan or Ketan. I forget. I don't know how that. Satan. Satan. And yeah. Ellie. Platforming controls are kind of wonky, but I absolutely adore this game and always have. Um, so, Zero, can you tell us a little bit, about, I guess, like about that part of the game, about the Ethos dig site? Oh yeah, it's when you it's it's if I remember properly, and I haven't um, I haven't played through the game itself in a in a few years, but it's roughly when you first get I think the character Billy Lee Black, who he is basically an enforcer for the game's version of the Catholic Church, <laughs> um, and he uses like pistols and has some of the coolest attacks in the game. Absolutely useless in his gear, but he's wonderful on foot, <laughs> <laughs> which I actually really like as a mechanic. But yeah, some of the um. Mentioning the platforming mechanics almost gives me flashbacks to one part in the game where you have to like jump onto a rope. I wanted to throw the game out the window. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know how good, how much better it was going to get after this. I right. was just like, oh, this game's been great, but I think I might be done. Yeah. You just kind of <laughs> tough out that part and then it gets good again, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm glad that there are fans that are responding. Like that's that's great to hear that people are still playing it. Oh yeah, on experiencing it. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, there's Scott Muller who says I'd kill for the second disc to be completed in Xenogears. Remake the game with just better visuals. Keep it all about the same. More combo moves. So I don't know if you can reflect that also, Zero. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They really could do a lot more of the base combos. Um, they have like a certain number, like seven of the base combos, mm. and then the elemental attacks. Um, and those are really the only ones you get, only new ones you get. And you get those at like level 70, 80, 90, like at the higher levels, at least for Faye. That's the only one who progression I remember exactly. Um, but they really could have done a lot more with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and like at one point in one of the games, like the Satan doesn't use, like he fights with his bare hands for most of the game, but you know, he's like a member of a badass military unit. So he picks up a sword in the last like 25% of the game, and then he just wrecks everything. He has completely different combos. I would have liked more stuff like that as well. Like, really kind of experimenting with more different martial arts styles. Like, one of the characters is basically a professional wrestler, and he gives people, like, pile drivers and stuff. Oh, nice. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, like, expand on it, really. Like him. Yeah, I would, I would like them to do a lot more with that. Like, this battle system, I think, is really something they should bring back mm. in another game. Forever Entertainment's remaking Panzer Dragoon from scratch. Maybe they could do the same with Xenogears. I would I would die a happy death. <laughs> Put the tongue away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Oh, it was coming out. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even on purpose. Oh, the tongue's coming out. <laughs> Good grief. What have I done? Yeah. What have I done? It's like a threat now at that point. <laughs> Good thing you guys can't see my face right now. Yeah. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so then there's also uh, Erwin Canlis who says, ooh, the Soylent system from Xenogears. So can you tell us a little about the Soylent system here, Zero? They're so people. basically, yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> like, um, it's um, what they use in um, the uh, the floating city I told you about earlier, like um, of those people. They actually make a lot of their food out of what they call the lambs, the people that live on the surface. Mm. And when you discover that, it's a very like, oh, Soylent Green is people move. That's definitely something they did for the translation as like a callback to the classic film before they go into the, 
into the facility and they're just like, oh, great. Now we're cannibals. Nice. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> like, we needed more reasons to beat the crap out of these people. <laughs> right. We didn't quite get dark enough, so let's go in this direction. <laughs> I just yeah. ate my college friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I can't believe it. I know. Put away the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue's back out, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there's also Chuck Smith who, who says, Holy crap, have I got to get caught up on these games. I've only played all of the first Xenosaga and have never really been sure if those were part of the franchise and had trouble even following the story for that one. Super dense, really cool and oddish game, though I have a copy of that, Gears, Blade Chronicles, and Chronicles X, so I do have a few of them and have the systems for all of them released for... Hmm. So sounds like he has like some uh, some catching up to do for sure, and he has yeah. He's to got do some so. playing to do. Yeah. Start with yeah. Gears. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I can't go wrong with that. <laughs> the second disc is a little rough, and this is something that I mentioned a few times before. But so the the second disc is more done in um, it's almost done narratively. Like they have the two main characters, Faye and Ellie, like sitting in chairs, kind of narrating a lot of it, and then it'll go into dungeon segments and boss fights. Um, and that was specifically due to budgetary. A lot of people for a long time thought it was because they took money out of the project for Final Fantasy VII, but it's never been confirmed. If that's true, then I'll throw Final Fantasy VII down a well. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, I mean, it's just it was taking a while. They, it's, Square at the time had a very strict um, two-year development time for games mm-hmm. at that point in their um, company history. So I think that had more to do with it than any budgetary restrictions, that, that would make if sense. I'm to be completely honest. Yeah, it's just like a turnover at that point for sure, yeah. Uh, then there's Dominic Zenalodi who says, I love Xenogears, but I actually really dislike Xenosaga. Don't know why, but just felt this, uh, the Saga games didn't feel like Gears to me, so maybe I was expecting something else, which uh, certainly makes sense, you know, considering, you know, again, the Xenosaga, like, series really was kind of meant to be, like, I guess, like a spiritual successor, you know, tied into the Xenogears uh, game in some way, but not fully, so. Yeah, it's more of a prequel, too, really. So it's set when they had spaceships and all this technology because again xenogears begins with a spaceship crash landing on an unknown planet and everything kind of spirals out from there so it's like the episode one to two era of the six episodes which is when they lost earth and they're colonizing the galaxy kind of right part of things so it was a retelling of those original episodes and it was eventually going to do a different story for the episode five portion than what we got as xenogears but they never really got there Hmm. so makes sense makes sense uh, Todd Allen, who says, only played Xenogears. My fave part was when the one guy was sitting in a chair and telling a story about how a bunch of a bunch of stuff was happening. It was like reading a short book. I thought that was neat because it would have been a whole new disc to play through to get through the stuff the guy was explaining. And instead, we, as the players, uh, got the gist of the story and could keep going to the end. So, um, does yeah. that sound about accurate to you, Zero? Or? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, it's it's really like a full disc of that would have probably been as long as, as the game up until that point, and it's not a short game. Right, right. So I do understand, like, that's why I'm saying, like, my dream project is a fully realized second disc of Xenogears. Mm. It would just be, like, it would dig in so much deeper to all the things I already love about it. Mm-hmm. So, like, how long would you say the Xenogears takes to complete overall? If you're rushing and you're not trying to, like, take your time and really level up the characters, you could probably do it in 40 to 50 hours. Okay. All right. So you're yeah, so kind of like... Yeah, it's typical, typical RG length if you're not a completionist and you're not trying to, like, right. grind it out. So you're kind of, like, thinking, I guess, of, you know, like, in your dream scenario to have it almost be, like, a Persona game, like, where it is, like, a 100-hour game, like, normally, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, like a set. Yeah, like if just where the lower end is seventy hours, it would probably be what it would have ended up to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And that's insane. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially back then. Yeah, like, but if people play it and people like it, storage then storage now. Yeah, you know? like it's it's easier to do that. For sure, for sure. Uh, then there's Corey Williams who says, "God, I want a Xenosaga remaster so bad. Been wanting to play them, but I'm not about to play uh, to start PS2 collecting. It already costs enough to collect for new gen and PS3." Which Robert, I know that you know a little bit about that, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to a guy, be like, okay, do I eat ramen or do I eat grilled cheese? You know, right? Or do you do I buy the Switch game right now on a physical release? <laughs> uh, yeah. Do I do I do I walk to the store? Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Where can I siphon my next gallon of gas? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sell blood again? <laughs> can I can I take up this career as a wirist? Yeah. 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 Just uh, just yeah. You're really wiry. So. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm pretty wiry. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm gonna... pretty sure there's like online courses for that now. So yeah, uh... I got. I'll tell you, I got really lucky with the the games I bought for the PS1 when I was actually like when I was that age because trying to find Suikoden Two or like Val Profile or Star Ocean Two, which I have two copies of for some reason, like both of the Lunar games. I like look at them now and I'm like. Oh God! Yeah, you know, <laughs> me, so me just trying to find it, trying to find an Einhander. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Oh, That's yeah. The, yeah. Um, funny story. When I was working at GameStop, this guy came in and he had a. He's like, "Oh yeah, my brother like left a bunch of his old games. He didn't want to take him anymore." And he pulls out just all of these classic RPGs. It's where I got my second copy of Star Ocean, where I got mm-hmm. my second copy of Xenogears. Actually, like I have double copies of a lot of these classic RPGs. And then he pulls out Sakoden Two we get it too and it's in better condition than mine and i was like dude you could sell this for like 300 dollars. i can't take this from you <laughs> i was like these other ones are like 30 your conscience took over in that case yeah, yeah like the, these other ones i'm like these other ones are like 30 to 50 they're probably not necessarily worth the time for you to put on ebay you don't seem like you care that much but this one specifically you can get so much money for i do not want to take this from you right and right. like my boss was like seriously man like <laughs> like i was like i, I still regret it i still regret it <laughs> Every time the the opening to my Suikoden two skips a little bit, I'm like, God damn it! I'm yeah, so <laughs> close. Uh, so the next one we have here is from Chris Hodges, who says, "I can certainly tell you what wasn't my favorite memory when my save file somehow got corrupted twenty hours into Xenogears, and I was too angry to ever play it again because I would have had to start all over. Which is too bad because I was loving it up to that point. Maybe someday I'll give it another shot." So. Zero, at that 20-hour point, where do you think he would have been, and would it have gotten a lot better for him? He was probably fighting in the tournament um, in, like, the Imperial City, which was where you meet the pro wrestling guy, Rico. He might have been in one of the most annoying dungeons of all time, which is the sewers. Mm. In that city is pretty rough, but I think I think last time I played, that's where I was around the 20-hour. Or maybe a little bit farther than that. He might have been, um, you know about to discover Soylent, really depending <laughs> how quick you're going through the game. And then the boss is incredibly hard, so good luck. There you go, there you go. Uh, there's Chris Reed, who says, Xenogears is the only one I liked. I have the three Xenosagas, but didn't like them nearly uh, nearly as much as, as Gears, and I've not played any of the Blades, so um, would you say that, uh, Zero, like that the um, the Xenogears, I guess, was kind of like the, um, I guess, like the, the pinnacle of like the franchise so far? Um, that or the first Blade Chronicles. Those are the two that I think like Xenosaga has the benefit of being able to go into a bit more detail mm-hmm. or into more detail as it's spread over three games but it doesn't have the same feel you know like re- the great thing about Xenoblade Chronicles and Xenogears is they still feel 
like traditional RPGs in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of throw a lot of terminology. The, the Xenogears games, there's a one point in the first Xenosaga that has a 40 minute cutscene. Oh, wow. That they add, they off, they give you the ability to pause in the middle. Like, they're like, you want to save? Halfway through. They ask you if you want to save. So the pacing is a lot better. Yeah. So really just in terms of like being able to pick it up and play for two hours, you don't have to worry about running into a scene without a save point where you're going to be stuck there for the next three hours. I'm kind of getting flashbacks a little bit of Metal Gear Solid 4 in a, in a sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there, but yeah, so like there are serious pacing issues, especially with the first Xenosaga. Yeah. There's some pacing problems. Makes sense, all right. Which is why I like watching it on the dick. I'll watch that four-hour movie over playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. Uh, and then there's also Jeremy Simon, who says, only play the Xenoblade games, would love a remaster of the Gears and Saga games. So that's definitely something that, we, that we've been talking about before. And uh, finally here, Robert Jason Noro, who says, finished all but the third Xenosaga, but when Graph's theme music plays, I'm like, badass has just entered the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is... Um... The the soundtrack for the first Zen, first Zeno Gears has just so many like iconic tracks for me. Like it's just almost like every other song is just it's almost like you know. I mean, obviously Final Fantasy VIII has Liberty Fatale, and you have One Winged Angel, Final Fantasy VII. I feel like you have like six or seven tracks that are that good on the mm. Zeno Gears soundtrack, and one of them is Graf's theme. It is just excellent, and like there's just so much like it captures the mood. Like, that's one of the great things about Xenogears. Is it really is more than the sum of its parts. Just all of it comes together almost perfectly. Makes sense. All right. Except for the second disc, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Graf's sound, like, theme music is called Graf Emperor of Darkness, which <laughs> is also just so, like, 1998 Edgelord. Like, I just bought a corn. CD, and I'm gonna like tell my mom that I'm upset, and yeah. like I'm buying the Satanic Bible, and there's nothing you can do about it, mom. There's a hot topic in our. Mall you now. you put that away, young man. You stop being a freak on the leash. You stop it. Yeah, exactly. Stop it. Like, you stop it right now. I feel like it captures a like it almost like just the name of a song like that being named after a character who says like he's actually when you posted like we're doing this thing, and he's like, dost thou desire the power? That's crap. So, yeah. Yeah, it's that guy. Yeah, and I feel like everyone kind of like knows like that one guy who is exactly who you who you described there, Zero, including someone who we personally know. So, <laughs> um, which we we won't name any names here, but um, you know, cer- cer- certainly someone like who uh, who we both know. But uh, so thank you guys for you know for you know for sharing your favorite Zeno like uh, you know your your favorite Zeno games and like memories and all that stuff. It was, it was uh, really really fun to kind of hear all that. And uh, Robert, I believe you have a game code here to give away. I do have a game code giveaway here for Arcade Spirits from our friends over there at Fiction, Fiction Factory Games and our good buddy there, Ann Schumann. Uh, Arcade Spirits is a romantic visual novel that follows an alternative timeline where the 1983 video game crash never occurred. It's 20XX, and you've just started a new job at the Funplex Game Arcade. Who will you meet along the way? Will you find the romance you're seeking? Put your tongue away. <laughs> and here's the steam code for whoever wants it it's x77t5hkeh723jyz that is arcade spirits on steam enjoy and if you do redeem it let us know on twitter at twitter.com slash arg podcast choose your character
And that's going to lead us now to the part of the show called Random Select, which is a yes or no 15 question game to guess which video game character that Robert is this week. Uh, so basically it's going to be Zero and I acting as a team to guess which video game character that Robert is. Uh, if after five questions we don't get it, well, he'll give the first hint. After 10, he'll give the second hint. And if after 15 questions that we don't get it, then it's game over, as Raul Julio would say. And uh, also the uh, the unwritten rule in this as well is that it's going to be a character who we've either mentioned on the show or that we've mentioned like a game that they've been in like on like on the show. So that's like a little bit of a leeway there. Um, but Zero, I don't know if you want to start off with the first yes or no question here. Are you a male? Yes. Hmm. Uh, are you part of the Xeno franchise at all? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Getting well, that's all we talked about pretty much in the show. So. <laughs> You know, I have another question here. Are you in any of the Smash Brothers games? Yes. <laughs> Zero, I don't know if you want to take the honors here. Um, do you use the Monado? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a yes. <laughs> Wait, do I use the Monado? Shulk uses the Monado. Then yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm Shulk. <laughs> Of all the weeks to be stuck with this, I'd be like, yes, let me pick the Xenoblade character, because this is just great on my part, yes. Life is not fair, Robert, it's not fair. It's not fair. I didn't even get to my clue yet, but the first one is, when I hit, I hit pretty hard. Yeah. And then the second clue is, you'll really find me a treat in the challenge mode, because I have challenge mode downloadable content in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So, yes, I was shocked, but it's only because I don't really know. <laughs> you think, okay, I could be. I could have gone with Buddy Christ, I guess, but I mean, you, know, you know, he's not officially in the game, so that would have thrown you guys off completely. I mean, no, so. he's in Zeno Saga. You see him. Yeah. All right. Well, there you okay, go. Okay. Well, then, well, let's read. Let's do this over again. Okay, <laughs> Round two. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was random select. A pretty easy one. But they, okay, next week you're taking it back, David. But yep. No, but my but, turn uh, next, so. Before we do wrap this up here, um, I do want to mention one more thing. Uh, we just I wanted to go over this real quick because I know David saw it and I saw it last night. Um, Spider-Man: Far From Home is in theaters, and I got to tell you, um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I know we don't want to go too deep in spoil territory here, but uh, I really got a kick out of uh, the direction that the movie took, especially with the post credit scenes. And uh, oh, yeah. if you guys had, uh, if you guys uh, go to the theaters this weekend, definitely check it out. Uh, a couple of retro treats toward the end as well. Uh, I had a good time with it. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say actually it's better than um, Homecoming in that case. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's quite good. It's quite good. I don't know oh, if you yeah. can see it at all zero or? I've been meaning to. Mysterio is one of my favorite Spider-Man characters. Mysterio so, like, would be a, a zero character for, for sure. Like, yeah, I love he definitely has his tongue out. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got the moves. Yeah, he does. He does. You know, I gotta say, Jake Gyllenhaal plays him pretty much perfectly. So brilliantly, I really, I, absolutely I, I, brilliant performance by him. Yeah, yeah. Like, one of my friends he tells me that it's like it's up there with like uh, the Vulture in the last movie, and he said he even compared it. He's like, yeah, it's as good of a character from one medium to another as he thought Joker. Somebody, he's like, one of my friends did tell me that. And he's obsessed with Spider-Man. So mm. I was like, They're not wrong. wrong. They're not wrong, though. Yeah. So that, yeah. that was what really made me be like, well, I'm definitely seeing this movie in the theater. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. Like, and like I said, the post credit stuff is really great. We won't spoil it here, but... Mm. Uh, the mid credit scenes, especially, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's at stage for Phase 4 pretty nicely. So mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. stick around for that stuff. And, you know, the side characters are, are really great. You got Nick Fury in this. Obviously, Happy Hogan's back. And mm-hmm. it's just really a lot of fun. I think it's probably one of my favorite Spider-Man movies. I mean, Spider-Man 2 is still my favorite up there, but this is definitely right behind it. 
And what's really cool, too, is that they added in the costumes in this movie into Spider-Man on PS4 as well. Yeah, so if you yeah, want to exactly. play like in, in like the uh, the like iconic um, in the like iconic costume, like with like the uh, you know, kind of like the red and black or whatever that, that, you know, that's being shown around like in the trailers and like uh, promotional materials and all that, uh, as well as like the pseudo Spider-Man noir, not quite Spider-Man noir, but it's yeah. meant to be like a callback to a costume. So, uh, yes, it has a couple of those in there. Yeah. I love Spider-Man noir. And I'll tell yeah. you, the <laughs> fact, I really do. The fact that we got this, what, just not even a little over six months after we got Spider-Verse. I mean, mm. it's on fire right now. I mean, that that's two really good Spider-Man movies in just over a span of six months. I mean, compared I to, like... just watched it to the Spider-Verse again, the other, like, yesterday. Compared to the garbage that was Spider-Man 3, I mean, that's a hell of a turnaround. Oh, know? yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, that dancing scene is excellent. <laughs> All right. Put your tongue moves. away. Put your tongue away. <laughs> Quit, 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 quit. When he's walking down the street and like hitting on the lady, like hell yeah. Listen, yeah, yeah. Like, no, you. I was like, no. I was like, that's what. It, that's what. It, next thing, next thing, you know, you're gonna tell me you like Independence Day Resurgence. Shut up. <laughs> I, I never saw it, although I do love the gold blue. There, yeah, yeah, we can't go wrong with them. So yeah. No, you, you, someone you I can. know has a Jeff Goldblum like shower curtain. <laughs> it just says I wish it was he, me. It, yeah, it, it just says, "Well, there it is." As you step out, well, there, there it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> well, every time I see him, I say that about you know something else that happened. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> and there's college again. <laughs> and also, we want to give like a shout out to to our patrons here: uh, Francisco Limas, Mac the Ball, and Justin Forsyth. So, thank you very much, guys, for helping support the show. And if you would also like to support the show, you could check us out at Patreon.com/slash/Arcast, where you could check out like all. Of our perks and all the all the great stuff that they can get for uh, for helping us out. So thank you very much. Also, don't forget to, uh, to also check out our Discord channel, guys. We are popping in there more. We are talking to people. We are uh, doing surprise giveaways as well. So be sure to check out our Discord channel as well. You can find the information on that over at RetroZap.com. And I also want to give a shout out to our uh, buddy there, Emilio Lopez. He sent me out uh, that awesome uh, Contra flask that we talked oh, about nice. a couple weeks ago. <laughs> uh, that is, of course, pretty rad. It would be even radder if I drank. But you know, whatever. <laughs> Great collectors. I guess it's me do. then. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do accept. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I- I've seen what you do with your flasks. I've heard. <laughs> no thanks. I'm keeping. This I'm pretty one. sure drinking was like his major in college. So yeah. I would have. I would. I would have. I'd have a master by now. I know, right? <laughs> and that's going to close out our episode. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, so Zero, thank you very much for joining us on the show here, and like you know, and and, and lending us your expertise on the Xeno franchise. Yeah, always a pleasure, guys. I mean, you know, if you ever want to do more PS1 RPG stuff. Yeah, for like a Valiant Hearts like episode or something like that. So. Oh, Vandal Hearts? You want to talk about Vandal, oh, Vandal Hearts? Hearts oh, I, I mean. could do that. I could do that all day. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that special Poi Poi episode we're talking about. That whole oh, thing, yeah, yeah. how to get the Vandalier class. I still remember where all the six deals are. I can do I really yeah. can do this all day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Literally, I have nothing going on. College is out this summer. Please call me. Right. <laughs> and that is episode 167 in the books. And if you would like to follow the ArcCast on Twitter, we are at ArcPodcast. Same thing on Facebook, facebook.com slash ArcPodcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at The Guilty Man. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash DCD. You can also check out my writing talents at scuffedaming.com's little blog over there, as well as mmogames.com and godhatesgeeks.com. 
And please be sure to check out our partner site, Don't Feed the Gamers, at don'tfeedthegamers.com. That is run by our good friend, Leanna Ruppert, where her team gives fan-centric news and reviews in gaming. If you'd like to send us any feedback, opinions, retro games, or topics for us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at argcast at retrozap.com. And be sure to check out retrozap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts. It's your home away from home if you're crazy about Star Wars or pop culture in general. There is also us with Argcast, so be sure to find us on iTunes, subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Music, so there is absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast. And yes, that is episode number 167 in the books. Until next time, keep it retro, and remember, I'm available as a wirist. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a... You went to school for it and everything. Yes, I I sure did. That's a wire. That's a wire. Yes. (laughs) Skill. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I could say an electrician, but that involves electricity. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm not going to fry. I became Sorry. a wireless and all I got was this lousy flask. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, you know, I, I, I could probably lick a wire with my tongue, but that's probably just going to fry. Yeah. Like you get zero yeah. for that. Mine instead. can handle it. Yeah, mine can handle it. <laughs> you know, I know, I know way too much about Zero's tongue. It's so, man. You don't know enough. Yeah, that, that, that's the problem. <laughs> no, I've, I've heard stories from college. I'm, I'm good, really. You know, the elevator story's enough, really. We're good. I'm sure the cops have enough stories. We're good. Oh, they do. <laughs> like, you know, they probably get the wanted poster up. It's just a picture of his mouth. It's just, yeah. interrupted me playing Super Dodgeball the other day. That, that is really true. That's a true story. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll see you guys next week and hopefully with less time. Catch you guys later. See you. Hi, I'm Justin. And I'm Josh. And we host the Pretty OK Gamers Podcast. Think of our show as water cooler conversations with a little less gossip and a little more geeking out. My Halo, I think, is Legend of Zelda. What? No way. No. Who are you again? I'm Justin, and we're we're (laughs) rather okay at playing pretty good games. No, no. Every week, we talk about games and their history, and even ask ridiculous questions like, are open world games even good? So come join us every Sunday on the HP Gaming Podcast Network. See you there. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.